All right. <clears throat> Romans 10, 14 through chapter 11, verse 10. I'll read it. It says, How then can they call on him they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? So faith comes from what is heard. And what is heard comes through the message about Christ. But I ask, did they not hear? Yes, they did. Their voice has gone out to the whole earth and their words to the end of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses said, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that lacks understanding. And Isaiah says boldly, I was found by those who were not looking for me. I revealed myself to those who are not asking for me. But to Israel, he says, all day long, I've held up my hands to a disobedient and defiant people. I ask them, has God rejected his people? Absolutely not. For I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Or don't you know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I am the only one left, and they are trying to take my life. But what was God's answer to him? I have left 7,000 for myself who have not bowed the knee to Baal. In the same way, then, there is also at present time a remnant chosen by grace. Now, if by grace, then it is not by works. Otherwise, grace ceases to be grace. What then? Israel did not find what it was looking for, but the elect did find it. The rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that cannot see and ears that cannot hear to this day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a pitfall and a retribution to them. Let their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and their backs be bent continually. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus. You've given us this promise in your word that, that is God-breathed, that is inspired by you. And so, Lord, there's nothing in it that is random. There's, there's nothing in it that, that is not meant for us. And so, Lord, even as I read it and even as we heard this passage, I'm sure there were questions. But, Lord, we believe that your word is profitable, that your word has work to do in our hearts. And so by the Holy Spirit, would we be open and receptive to your word? Would you give us understanding and would your word produce faith and obedience in us? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Does that, that sound like a confusing passage? Oh, yeah, man. I was really excited. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, uh, it's one of the, the helpful things about going through the scripture. I can't, I can't skip it because it's, you know, it's the next passage. Uh, but one thing I was, I, I was thinking about, there is, there is an incomparable joy 
when someone receives the gospel and begins to grow. Have you, have you witnessed that? I, you know, I, there, there are like names that come to my mind of, uh, of people who have heard the good news of the gospel, repented, left sin, let, like it made really hard decisions based upon repentance. And it just gives me such joy to see the spirit at work in their lives. But on the flip side, there is a major sadness when someone rejects the gospel or walks away from the faith. And I'm sure you've seen that too. And so the question that this text poses to us today is, how should we respond to the rejection of the gospel? How should we respond to the rejection of the gospel? And beloved, this this is what we know. We know that the preaching of God's word, the preaching of the gospel, will accomplish God's purposes, even when it does not look like it. This is what the text is telling us. And so it starts in verse 14, and we can see the necessity of preaching. It says, how then can they call on him they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about them? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. What this passage tells us is that the gospel is a declaration of victory. This imagery about this, this beautiful feet, I want you to imagine a time before, before cell phones, before uh, online, or maybe even before newspaper, how did you get your news? Well, somebody had to come and tell you about it. Now, if you were in a particular city, imagine your country was at war and you weren't on the, the front, you didn't know if you won or not, right? You're like, I hope we won. I hope our stuff ain't going to get taken. Well, there's a, there's a messenger that comes running. And, and I listen, now, if you have a good, like a, like a happy message to tell somebody versus a sad message, you can tell before they talk, start talking, right? Right? And so if the messenger was coming, it's like, oh, we got defeated. He probably wouldn't have a lot of pep in his step, you know? He'd be like, this is going to be real awkward when I tell everybody that we belong to another country now. But, but if, if the, the news was that we won, and that our nation is secure. You can see the messenger running with gladness and excitement. And then when everybody who is on the wall looking down from the city wall sees this messenger, they go, oh man, we're about to get some good news, y'all. Look at him running. Look at him skipping. He is excited. And he begins to deliver this message that there has been victory and that we are safe. This is the illustration of preaching. That the life death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, that it defeats sin and Satan and gives to everyone who believes victory and assurance of peace. I love, like Jesus defeats sin. Beloved, sin is, is a hard thing to fight, is it not? If you've ever really tried, it's hard. If anybody says, I don't sin, the Bible says they are a liar. Okay. All right. That's the Bible. Now, now listen, when I think about sin, I'm like, man, that thing, I feel like it can defeat me. Like if there are some days where I feel just, just knocked around by sin, but beloved on the cross, the perfect man, Jesus Christ to the consequences for our sin. 
He took the punishment. He took, he took the nails that really belonged to us, the, the, the scourging that really had our names on it because we knowingly did what was wrong. We should have, have gotten some sort of consequence, but Jesus in his love says, no, I, I love them. I will take the consequence instead. So when sin is, is kind of making you feel guilty, and making you feel ashamed, and is singing to you the message of defeat, the preacher says, no, 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 no. I know that it might look like you have been defeated, but there was one Christ Jesus who died on the cross, who rose again to declare to you forgiveness and to declare to you righteousness. Not only has Jesus defeated sin, but Jesus defeats Satan by defending his people from accusation and taking away the power of death through the resurrection. One of the names of, of Satan in the scriptures is the accuser. Okay, that's one of the things that he does. And so when you're walking around just feeling beat up by all the things that you did, you can be sure that Satan is accusing you. And here's the deal. Listen, I, I've told this story before, but I love it so much. When Martin Luther, the, the German reformer, he was talking about a time he was sitting and he was by himself and, and he felt like Satan was accusing him, listing his sins. And what's so interesting is what he did. He says, actually, Satan, you're right. And you forgot some. Let me tell you some other stuff that I didn't did too. And the reason he could say that is because no, I know that Christ Jesus has died for every single one of my sins. So your accusations, that, that your accusations, they don't have, they can't stick to me. They have been nailed to Christ. They no longer apply to me. And the reality is we are afraid of death. That's why we don't talk about it that much. We even use language like they passed on instead of the finality because death is scary. But the reality is that if Christ Jesus died and rose again, we can have faith that if we trust in him, that we too will rise again. Now, here's the deal. You and I didn't do anything to secure this victory. You didn't die on a cross. I didn't die on a cross. You didn't have a perfect life. I didn't have a perfect life. And we weren't there, were we? Were you there? No, we weren't there. So, so there's, there's only one way we can know about this victory. <laughs> Is if somebody tells us. Is if somebody proclaims this thing to us. And not only that, even if you've heard it before, as I was describing how sin and Satan affect us, you know, some days you might know in the back of your head about a victory, but in the front of your head, you're thinking about your sin and your fears and your frustrations and your sufferings. And we still need reminders from the word of God about the victory that we have in Christ Jesus, not because of what we did, but because of what he has accomplished through his cross and resurrection. And what this passage teaches us is that the church is, is the vehicle of preaching and sending. Listen, listen to this. Listen to this. What, what makes a church a church? You ever thought about that? Like, what makes it, it like, is a church a place that where people help each other? Well, like, there's other places that do that, yeah? You know, do, 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 is a church that, like, just, do they, you know, give money to the poor? Yeah, they do. But there's other places that do that, too. Yeah. This is the, the, the central question in the Reformation is, is what makes a church a church? Like what, what are the central ingredients that you need that you look at it and you're like, that is a church? And they had a very simple answer. 
It said, you know that there is a church where the word of God is rightly preached and the sacraments are rightly administered. In other words, you know that there, that, that there is a church because somebody is preaching about Jesus, somebody is getting baptized, and somebody is taking communion. That's how you know there is a church. And the first ingredient is the preaching of the gospel through the exposition of the scriptures. Now, this is so interesting because it feels so feeble compared to all the other things you could be doing. Like there's, there's common criticisms, right? Well, they up there on Sunday. They need to be in the streets doing so. Da, da, da. You know, you, you heard it. Yeah. They ain't doing nothing. What they do? Listen, listen. We believe that the preaching of the word is not only about information, but that it actually changes people. We believe that when the gospel is preached, that someone who is dead in sin can be made alive in Christ. We believe that when the gospel is preached, that you might have had the worst week ever and you feel all down, but then you get the joy of good news and you have hope and peace and you cherish your forgiveness. Beloved, the word saves and the word promotes growth. We are a church because we believe that the word of God does not return void, that it accomplishes what it says it does. Preaching is a declaration that is more than advice but it comes with power. So Paul says in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God for salvation. Now, if this is true, if, if, if preaching has this much power, then you can see that sending and raising up preachers is an important activity for the church. If preaching makes people f- go from death to life, then we should be about sending preachers, yeah? We should be about planting churches. We should be about sending missionaries because we know that God's word has power. And if God saves through the word, then preachers must be developed. And more people need to hear and know about the victory of the gospel. Now, here's the deal. The whole passage is assuming that the church understands this. And this is the question. What happens when people reject it? What if the, if the word is powerful, if it saves people, if it transforms people, what is going on when people are rejecting it? In verse 16, it says, but not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? So faith comes from what is heard and what is heard comes from, excuse me, through the message of Christ. There's something really interesting in this verse is when, when the scripture says, do you hear the Lord? What it's asking is, are, are you obeying the Lord? And you know this. When you ask somebody, did you hear me? What you saying? <laughs> like, you know, if you, you talking to your spouse, you said, did you hear me? And no, not did the words like go through the sound waves, but I asked you to wash the dishes and you still sitting there. Did, did you hear me? <laughs> You know, like, 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 like there's a close connection between hearing and obedience in the scriptures and in life. And we have this promise that if we hear and take to heart, we are saved. So what this what this explains is that when somebody doesn't believe, it's not a malfunction of the word. It's not that the communication was ineffective, but people decided to not listen. So it's not that I, I didn't hear my wife say, can you wash the dishes? It's I was on my phone, okay? And I was just scrolling social media. 
And when she says, did you hear me? And I, maybe I did like technically hear her, but not, then I know oh, I probably should listen now. <laughs> it's like people like seatbelts don't work. And then he's like, but do you put them on? No. Well, it don't work for you. <laughs> you didn't you didn't utilize the thing that works for most people. You know what I'm saying? It, here's the interesting thing. We learn in verse 18 that God leaves people without excuse in their rejection of him. In verse 18, it says, but I ask, did they not hear? Nothing. Did, did you hear me? OK. Did they not hear? Yes, they did. <laughs> their voice has gone out. Uh, to the whole earth and their words to the end of the earth. Now, this is a quotation from Psalm 19. And Psalm 19 is this, 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 po- this poetry about how God communicates. And he communicates through two ways. He communicates through creation and he communicates through scripture. Keep that in mind. He communicates through creation and he communicates through scripture. So one way to, to talk about this, this communication through uh, creation is called general revelation. And Romans talks about it. Romans 1.20, it says, for his, God, for his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen since the creation of the world being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. What it says is that God communicates himself through creation and through human beings made in the image of God. That if you just look out in creation, it, t- it tells you something about the, the existence of God. It tells you something about what kind of God he is. When you look at the, 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 the expanse of the heavens, when you see how small you are in comparison with the universe, it, it kind of works in your mind. There must be someone who is bigger than me who could cause all of this because I certainly cannot cause it. And not only that, he reveals through creation his moral standards. If I come and slap you, you can't say you didn't know. You, you know you're not supposed to slap people. You know. Like, like, like it's, it's inherent in how we interact. Like through creation, through our interactions with one another, we get that, that we can ascertain that there is a creator, that he is larger and more powerful than us, and that there is a moral standard. But not only that, not only does he communicate through creation, he communicates through the gospel. We call that special revelation. That, that, that it, it, general revelation is like a coloring book, and, and special revelation is like, is like the completed coloring book. I don't know if you've ever seen in those coloring books, like you got to connect the dots. Now, if you're an adult, you can kind of, you're like, I'm pretty sure I know what that makes, right? But when someone connects the dots and then you color, you're like, oh, okay, I really, really know what that is saying. Listen, listen, as the church expands, people have two witnesses to the existence of God and his plan of salvation. Listen, we know that we will have to give an account because we have this, this, this moral calculator of justice. And when we hear about the gospel, we understand that God is a God of justice and that he accomplishes justice through the cross of Christ so that we can have forgiveness. And as we look at creation and as we hear the preaching of the gospel, we are left without excuse. Yet some still reject. In verse 19, we learn that God still saves others when he is rejected by some. Good verse 19 says, but I asked, did Israel not understand? First, Moses said, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that lacks understanding. And Isaiah says boldly, I, found, I was found by those who are not looking for me. I revealed myself to those who are not asking for me. But to Israel, he says, all day long, I have held my hands out 
to a disobedient and defiant people. In other words, in the Old Testament, we can see this record of God continually giving people chances to repent, particularly Israel. Hey, you sin and stop. Hey, you sin and stop. Hey, you sin. And it goes on for hundreds of years, and they don't listen. And what Paul is saying right here is that God eventually moved on. That, listen, that just scares a little bit. That there was, there was so much rejection, so much not hearing, so much not listening, that eventually God was like, well, okay, I'm going to just go on over here. God sought out the Gentiles. See, God shares his blessing with others because it is in his nature to bless. But beloved, if we don't receive his blessings, he will move on. This means that we, we, we cannot reject God. We cannot reject his word because the time of repentance has an end date. It's not forever. You don't have forever to decide. I know you've had decisions where the, the, the clock is ticking. This is one of those decisions. There comes a day when you can't decide no more and your undecision is a decision. You understand what it is? Listen, God is going to bless somebody. So if you reject it, he's going to move on. And that is what he did with Israel. And you think, well, man, God's so mean. Listen, Jesus demonstrates the same characteristic. Matthew 10, 14 and 15 says, If anyone does not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I tell you, it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. The point is, Sodom and Gomorrah, they had the, the general revelation, but they didn't know about Jesus. But when you tell somebody about Jesus and they're like, nah, Jesus is saying that's worse than what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah. <laughs> it's outrageous to reject the blessings of God. It's worse to reject the clear invitation of the gospel. But even so, God will save a remnant from every group. Verse 1 in chapter 11 says, I asked, and has God rejected his people? Absolutely not. For I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Or don't you know that the scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel. Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I am the only one left and they are trying to take my life. But what was God's answer to him? I have left 7,000 for myself who have not bowed down to Baal. In the same way then, there is also at the present time a remnant chosen by grace. Now, if by grace, then it is not by works. Otherwise, grace ceases to be grace. In other words, even when it seems that fruit is lacking, God is still at work. Even when it seems that fruit is lacking, God is still at work. He uses this example of Elijah. Elijah was a miracle-working prophet to Israel that was rejected and threatened, and eventually the king said, I'm going to kill you if you keep talking. Now, like many of us, he runs away, okay? <laughs> He ran away and he complains and he's like, God, don't nobody follow you but me. Can you just kill me? I would rather die. That's his language. And God reminds him that, no, 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 it's not just you. I got other people. There's a remnant. There's a small group that, that even in the hardest times, he has people who are faithful to him. God is saving people by his grace, even when the times seem still. And Paul is using himself as an example. The whole point of the passage is that Israel rejected God. But Paul is, what country he from? Israel. Okay, so okay, Israel rejected God, but, but God still got Paul out of there. 
He's saying, listen, even if everybody rejects me, I'm going to save somebody. This bolsters faithfulness in the draw that the gospel always bears fruit. Even if you're preaching the gospel, it doesn't seem like nothing is changing. We don't give up because we know that the gospel is powerful and that somebody is going to get saved. And listen, and he does this through grace, not by merits. In other words, like why did Paul get saved and not the other people? Was Paul better? No, he was actually kind of worse. Y'all remember that, right? (laughs) He was going around, you know, trying to put people in jail. No, listen, he saves people not because there are certain people who are more worthy, but because of his generous grace, he saves people. And then God gives those who reject them over to their desires. In verse 7, it says, what then? Israel did not find what it was looking for, but the elect did find it. The rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that cannot see and ears that cannot hear to this day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a pitfall and a retribution to them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and their backs be bent continually. In Romans, in this book of Romans, we understand that the expression of God's wrath is him giving people what they want. That, listen, the expression of God's wrath is saying, you want to reject me? Here, reject me and get everything that comes from that. This is, this is not the way we usually think of God's wrath and not the popular character. Like we think, we, sometimes we think of God like Zeus and he's like throwing thunderbolts down or something like that. No, no, the wrath of God is giving you what you want. And that is terrifying. And then blindness and burden is the, is the result. He is the light, and we don't come to him, we can't see. And so we're left groping around in the darkness. He's the one who, who takes our burdens, but we keep heaping them on. The result is that we get what we want. And here's something else. The preaching of the gospel, listen, this, always has a result. 2 Corinthians 2, 15 and 16, it says, listen carefully, For to God we are the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To some, we are the aroma of death leading to death, but to others, an aroma of life leading to life. What he's saying is, when you preach the gospel, people get saved or they get hardened. There's not, a, there's not an in-between. Either there's it's the aroma of life and they sense the victory that is in Christ, or they reject and they go back and live in the darkness. What we learn from this text is that preaching is one of the essential functions of the church, right? The whole passage is about preaching and the acceptance or the rejection of the word that is preached. What this means is for those of us who have received Christ, that we should cherish the proclamation of the victory of the gospel. Through it, we are reminded afresh of the victory that we have in Christ. And not only that, the word of God shapes us. Far too often, this is one thing, far too often we come to church and we're like, I wish, I just want it to be an awesome sermon. I hope it's good. I hope it's not bad. Um, but like, you don't go to the gym like that, you know. <laughs> I just want it to be the most pleasurable thing ever. Like, no, you, no, you, you know, like every meal isn't like that, is it? Like sometimes you eat McDonald's and it's okay, right? Sometimes you put some ramen noodles, but, but you eat something. And as you eat things and as you work out, your body changes, this is how the word of God works. This is how the preached word works. There are times when you might get, you're like, oh my goodness, I never heard of that. Maybe. 
But more often than not, this is God's regular, consistent way of working on you. That as I receive the bread of life, which is the word of God, I am sustained and I get what I need. And not only should we cherish the preached word, but, but we should repeat what we hear in the sermons to one another. Beloved, if the word of God brings joy, then we should take every opportunity to remind one another of this word. My hope is that you don't just listen and then forget it. But my hope is when there are complications or when a brother and a, or a sister is suffering, particularly say if somebody's suffering from accusations that you remember, oh, I know what that's about. Hold up, hold up. You don't have to live in, a, in that accusation. That, there, that Christ has taken the consequences of your sin, so you don't have to live in shame and guilt because Christ took that on the cross. Listen, listen, preaching gives us something to say. It gives us something to say. And listen, is the word of God powerful? Yes. Preaching arms us with the ammo of God's word so that we can handle the various troubles in our life and the life of others. We also learn from this text that the appropriate response to the preaching of the gospel is repentance. Because if we do not repent, our hearts may grow cold and God may move on. We, listen, we need to cling to the promises in the gospel now and not wait until later. You can see this on a scale. Like one is like the whole, like, are you saved or not? But, but, but even if you are a Christian, even if you do know Christ and the Lord is convicting you of sin, if you continue to ignore him, you will lose your ability to hear. I've seen this. People who have walked, like, I'm like, man, he ain't never going to go away. But then there becomes a sin, a thing that they just they get infatuated with. And they ignore warning and ignore correction. And the next thing you know, like, do we even believe the same thing anymore? Beloved, we have to be steadfast in our faith. And if God is convicting you of sin, you have to repent or you might find yourself in a different, in a different boat, okay? This is the truths of the scriptures. And so, beloved, do not grow weary in hearing and obeying God's word because he will accomplish his plan through it. We have to receive, rest, and enjoy the salvation declared to us in the death and resurrection of Christ. And as we hear the word of God with a posture of humility and, and a posture of receiving, man, the Spirit does work in us. And beloved, he will complete that work. That's what our hope is. He's going to complete that work. And what we're preaching about right now, we don't see it all. But there's going to come a day when we see everything, when Christ comes back, and we know that his word accomplished what it said. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I, I thank you so much for your word. I pray that we would never take it for granted. Lord God, that we would have a posture of, of humility and a, and a posture of of repentance and even a posture of joy. Your, 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 your word is the declaration of forgiveness and peace and victory. Lord, let us receive it joyfully. Let us not close our ears, but let us just partake of what you have given us freely. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.